In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Craig Torres, owner of Boxcar. Craig, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here, Bobby. Absolutely. Appreciate you taking the time. Before we get started and learn all about you you and what you've been doing, can you take us through a brief of uh, Boxcar? What is Boxcar all about? For sure. So Boxcar is one of our two Hop City restaurant concepts. It's um, really, it's your way of getting fantastic handheld foods sourced from local providers. We work with all local farmers, but because everything we do at Hop City is beer themed, everything on the menu fits perfectly with a, or pairs perfectly with a glass of uh, beer. That's awesome. How did the concept get started? How did you start everything? Well, we got started 11 years ago as Hop City is a, a retailer that is focused exclusively on craft beer and small production wines. And like I said, we started about 11 years ago here in Atlanta, and we've been very fortunate. People really enjoy. We, we kind of got in at exactly the right time where craft beer wasn't quite a thing yet in Georgia. And now, of course, it's um, it's ubiquitous across the country. But we started with one retail store. We went to two retail stores. Next thing you know, we had five spots but our fifth spot we opened was a restaurant and uh, kind of by accident, really. And then we really decided we liked being in the restaurant business and Boxcar was born from that. Awesome. Awesome. It seems like you first got started, you were a professional drinker. <laughs> and then from there, really kind of started the concept. Uh, what what inspired you to start the company initially? And, you know, as you were starting, what, what were some of the, the reasons that you got started? And what, what were some of the reasons that you wanted to kind of leap into entrepreneurship? Of course. So I've been a beer fanatic really my my whole life. I'm 52 and I was fortunate enough to get go into the Coast Guard right after high school. And that allowed me to travel throughout the world. And I very quickly realized that the beer we were drinking back at home in the 80s maybe wasn't as good as the beer got. So trips to Belgium, Germany, England all showed me how amazing beer could get. So I, I my love of craft beer dates back to the, uh, the the late 80s. And I started journaling my beers. And really, it allowed me to kind of create a just this general idea of, man, if I could craft my own job, it would really be in this, this sort of awesome beer segment. But obviously, life gets in the way. So I, I went about my my professional career doing other things. And uh, I did open my first business was a collision repair facility, right? A, a body shop. So that's what I did for a vocation. I was really good at it. At the same time, that wasn't necessarily my passion. So while I owned Collision Works Auto Body Experts, I sat down and built this business plan for what a craft beer store should be and then promptly put it on a shelf and forgot about it for a couple of years. And then the late uh, 2000s came about. And of course, the economy was not doing so well. I, I By that time, I had sold Collision Works, my body shop, and worked. I ran other people's body shops. But I, because I was a relatively expensive employee, I got laid off. So there goes that business plan. It comes off the shelf. I, I refined it a little bit, and Hop City was born from there. And it seems like, as you hear more and more entrepreneurs talk, when you have a passion for something, it just kind of exponentially grows. I'm not saying you didn't do... Uh, there wasn't a lot of hard work behind this, but 
you know, you've been able to grow the uh, your enterprise and locations and all that good stuff over the years, which is which is great to see. I tell everybody there's a lot of components in being successful as a business owner, but having a great team, having having employees who see your vision and understand the the sort of the mission of your business, I could not possibly have grown without that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's that's exactly. I, I have a saying here actually. You know, I hire for passion, hustle, and drive in our company. And it's all about the people that you bring in. It's all about the team that you build. So totally on the same page with you. As you were, uh, Craig, as you were building up, going from one location to two to three, what were some, uh, some of the, you know, I guess the challenges or hurdles that were in front of you as you were growing your company? So I would say, I mean, the most obvious hurdle would be capital, being able to, to create the, the capital needed to open more than one location. It's hard enough to get that first loan. In fact, it took me no exaggeration, 32 meetings with banks before I was able to get that initial loan. I'm really tenacious, <laughs> for better or for worse. I was very lucky that I was able to make that happen. Uh, obviously, the second loan was not nearly as laborious, but being able to get people to buy into your vision from a, from a banking or, or capital injection standpoint, that's hurdle number one. Hurdle number two, obviously, having really specific business plan and revenue plans. So you need to understand what your targets are and what you should be, not simply on how much you need to sell every month, but expense side, how do you control the expenses so that you can make, so you can yield a a profit so that you have more money to roll back into your next location. And the third challenge was, of course, with finding that right team and making sure everybody agreed with your vision forward. So those were my three biggest hurdles before I could open locations two, three, four, five. And for other entrepreneurs that, you know, have opened up their first location, we get this question often. So curious to see, you know, from an expert like yourself, as you go to location two, three, four, and I know for every business, it could be a little bit different, but what are some learnings that, you know, you, you look back on, you go, you know, I wish I would have done X, Y, and Z here. And that would have got me, you know, to accelerate some of my growth or, or make me make less mistakes. What were, what were some of those kind of epiphanies for you? Well, I think one of the first epiphanies was don't get too just because you're you're dead set on doing something doesn't mean it's the right answer. We were when we first opened a homebrew shop as well. I have a passion for homebrewing. I'm a I was a homebrewer prior to opening a business. Say I was because I who has time anymore. I work seven days a week. I don't <laughs> do my hobby. Right. So we were a homebrew shop, and we were for a long time successful as a homebrew shop. And I I was reluctant to let that go more because of my passion for that side of the business. But as it became more and more clear that our guests didn't necessarily value that part of what we, the value added that we were bringing with the homebrew, I should have been quicker to be open to change. How's that? (laughs) So being open to the changes that the, your, your, listen to your guests, your guests will be happy to tell you what they want from you and from your business. So I think that was epiphany. Number one was focus on your guest feedback. And as as you've been, you know, it's no surprise we've been kind of weathering the uh, the, the COVID nineteen storm here, all all throughout the world. But in the United States, I think we've taken kind of different approaches in different states. And as we've been doing this, how has uh, you know COVID nineteen uh, affected you and your business? It's been pretty dramatic. Anyone in the restaurant segment can attest to the fact that obviously you couldn't for at initially when March first rolled around, we closed all three of our restaurants immediately. Uh, there was really no question about that. And we were closed, depending on the restaurant, between six and, and eight weeks for any type of service to go or otherwise. And then we slowly created a plan to be able to roll out services. We started with just to go, and then we added a, a walk-up window. And then eventually, uh, not too long, in fact, our, our most recent restaurant just added it back about 
four weeks ago, dining in service with a whole bunch of different protocols. So it, it was a deeply impactful. Gratefully, we do two things really well. One is the retail. The, the retail business kept us afloat. It allowed us to keep everybody on payroll. We didn't furlough anybody at all. Everybody kept their job. But uh, not having all of my eggs in the restaurant basket allowed that to be possible. And then really, first thing, when we closed everything, we sat, we pulled all our managers in. We had a big meeting. All right, we don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know how severe the restrictions are ultimately going to be, but let's put a plan together. So having a, a bunch of people around a table saying, hey, we should all wear masks or, hey, we should... This is what the CDC is recommending today. And just allowing having that plan and having a protocol from the very beginning allowed us to gradually reopen things. And it, it was I never really felt as much work as it was. I never felt that it was chaotic. I feel like we always had a, a game plan moving forward. That's awesome to hear. I think one of the things that common things that I hear from successful entrepreneurs is bringing in your team during these days and and kind of figuring it out together because I think none of us have been through this and bringing everyone together. Everyone's going to have a great idea and they feel you know kind of connected and empowered to be able to share those ideas. So that's 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 wonderful. When we first opened and there were four people on the team, it was really easy for me to just sort of unilaterally say, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But the more you grow and the more you expand, the more you you really have to rely on on that group of individuals that you've you've entrusted with your business if they don't feel empowered to bring ideas to the table, then you're, you're probably going to have limited success. Yeah, totally makes sense. Craig, what is, uh, what are some things that you've done in your locations, in your, in your company that you think are here to stay? Like even after, you know, we, we get to a new level of normalcy, what are some things that you've adopted that you think will continue? We've started doing viral treatments that are basically built into your HVAC system. And I think that's the kind of thing we want to keep with well after there's a, a, COVID-19 specific pandemic, anything to make the quality of the air you breathe inside your home or, your, or in this case, your business better, I think it's worth keeping around. So I think that's change number one that we'll see stick around long past this current pandemic. Although, and we've actually done a couple other things. I think another th the next thing that'll stick, uh, we've changed our menu. You know, we were more focused on that, um, we'll call it a prolonged dining experience where you wanted to sit around and sort of languidly enjoy food and beer together. I think with watching how the public reacted to the pandemic, we, what we did was we stopped focusing on courses and focused more on how quickly we can get the food in front of you. And then you, you're welcome to stay, but this way you don't feel like you have to stay inside an enclosed space. So we made it a little bit more of a mobile experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. Makes sense. Are there any kind of technologies that you've put into play here uh, during this time that you think will continue or that have accelerated during this time? So we did add online ordering through the website for our retail business. That was technology we absolutely accelerated because of the pandemic, and that is definitely going to stick around. So yes, on the retail side. On the restaurant side, like I said, that uh, hydrogen peroxide-based inserts into your HVAC system is technology that we would never even have dreamed about, including seven, eight months ago, that was absolutely accelerated. Have you seen any shifts in how your customers interact with you? Like, did you, did you have regulars that come in all the time that now get to go more or like anything that's changed as far as your customer mix and how they interact with you? We definitely have seen an increase in frequency from what I would describe as our uh, hardcore fans. They are coming by more frequently than before. And I think part of that is, sadly, the restaurant business has uh, consolidated quite a bit. There's not nearly as many offerings. So if you were a regular at four places now, there's a reasonable chance that one or two of those aren't even in business or not open right now. 
So yes, we have seen our, our most loyal fans become even more loyal. We definitely have seen those same individuals in, where they may have before sat at a booth or inside the restaurant. We see them, that patio seating becomes that much more crucial. That is definitely, we open at four, by 4.15, those patio seats are full. Wow. So we, we are definitely seeing a, a migration outward instead of inward. Yeah, no, absolutely. As you've been opening up inside dining, have you seen uh, the same number of people come in? Has it been different? What have you been doing to like cater to you know, people's thoughts of safety as they dine inside? Of course. Uh, naturally, we have implemented social distancing seating, so every other booth is, is available. We've removed quite a few tables from our floor, and obviously a significant, more than half of our bar seating is gone, so that people can come in groups of two to four individuals as a pod, stay in their pod, and then leave as a pod. We've implemented mask ma- mandates. You're not allowed to enter any of our retail or restaurant spaces without a mask. You can't move around without a mask. So obviously there are individuals who don't love that policy, but it's a requirement. You're welcome to order to go or you're welcome to stay outside if that's uncomfortable for you. But if you're going to walk inside our building, we want you to wear a mask. Those are are probably the two most obvious things when you walk in. It does have a pretty significant impact on revenue at best. With our outdoor seating, we can do about 55% of our old sales numbers, but I'd rather do 55% of our business safely and uh, it's less about revenue this year. It's way more about how, how comfortable can I make my guests feel? No, absolutely. Absolutely. How do your employees feel, Greg? Are they, are they feeling good about everything that you're doing? Yes. We've, uh, every time we've implemented uh, an increase in service, for instance, when we opened up the inside of the dining room, you bring everybody again. I'm a big fan of pulling everybody in that location together. And I know we have Zoom technology, you know, technology to allow everyone to do it virtually. We prefer to get everybody in a room distant and then have this open discussion about what makes sense. And so, yes, there was certainly some discomfort with allowing people to dine inside. We did it very gradually. At first, we did zero table service. So we would allow you to eat inside, but you'd still go to a counter, you'd place your order, and then when your order was ready, you would pick it up at a a spot by the kitchen. So it was sort of no service indoor dining, if that makes sense. But that allowed our, our, our team to get used to the idea of guests being back in the building. And it definitely allowed our guests to feel that they were in control of their own destiny. So at no point was one of were one of our team members right next to them. At no point were they next to any of, th- of the other diners. And just, we've slowly been able to migrate that into more and more comfort zone for our team. Because if our team isn't healthy and happy, my guests aren't going to be healthy and happy. As you've been kind of, you know, again, going through and... I know all, the, all of this is you know new to all of us, but as you've been kind of maneuvering, one of the questions that we get from you know a lot of the smaller operators, especially, is are there you know these multi-location operators and, and larger operators? Is there anything they recommend as far as resources go, as far as you know either financial aid or tools or courses, technology? Is there anything that you can recommend you know, to that smaller operator that's that's listening and thinking, hey, what can I do to to be like Craig and his operation? Obviously, the same thing that a lot of other restaurateurs and really business owners across the country did. The PPP loan was beyond helpful. I would not have been able to pay my team without that uh, financial assistance. So if it isn't too late and if you haven't already done it, definitely apply for government loans. Uh, The SBA website is uh, reasonably helpful. They actually have disaster loans as well as PPP loans. They're two different projects. So I'm fortunate to have SBA loans at my facilities. The SBA did allow you, to, well, they didn't allow, they offered to defer all your principal and interest payments for six months. So take advantage of that. That really allowed us to operate in, in a very low revenue environment and still not you know, lose our shirt. 
and then talk to your city. So we have a location in Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham had a, a, a grant program that we applied for and were granted access to. They gave us money, 1% interest, and it's deferred payments for a year. So that was incredibly helpful. City of Atlanta had a similar program. So chances are your local government will have a tool or more than one tool to assist you in this. That's great advice. That's great advice. Uh, Craig, as you've been thinking about the future, and I know right now it's about, you, you said it well, let's just sustain for this year and then, you know, think about kind of revenues as we get back to maybe whatever this new normal looks like, you know, maybe 2021 and beyond. But are there, you know, technologies that you've thought about adopting here in the future? We are constantly looking for ways to get information to our guests without having them to have to touch anything. So we didn't talk about this yet, but we did implement QR codes in lieu of menus. So you don't longer get a piece of paper when you get seated. Instead, there's already a QR code on your table and your phone becomes your menu. So tools like that to allow your guests to do the research using things they already have on their person so they don't have to touch or interact with with your team as frequently. It also allows our team to remain at a further distance when taking orders or bringing food over. So I'm still looking for more technologies that can help our guests communicate better with us. Any uh, last pieces of advice, Craig, that you have for, again, restaurateurs out there uh, trying to keep the doors open during these times? Outdoor seating, all the outdoor seating you can get your hands on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I think at least the guests I talk to, and, and again, with five locations, I, I and I'm out in the public seven days a week, I, I talk to a lot of guests, hundreds of guests a week. We hear over and over again, I feel comfortable dining again at a restaurant, but I'm more comfortable dining outside. So if there's any way you can work with your landlord or with your city and get access to sidewalk space or any space you can get that's outside your building, you can make revenue right there in spaces that maybe you didn't think about could generate revenue for you. That's my number one piece of advice. That's awesome. And before we let you go, we always like to ask, you know, are there outside of, you know, your, your uh, different locations, are there favorites that you have in the Atlanta area that you would uh, say that we are must, must uh, visit locations when we, when we travel there? I'm a sports fan, and if you have not been to our Mercedes-Benz Stadium for a soccer game or a football game, you have to go. It is a marvel of technology. I love it. And they actually have decent food and beer, to, and which is not always <laughs> so. And mind you, you can't quite go there yet, but I believe they're opening up the fans in October, so it's coming sooner than you think. If you're also in Atlanta and you want a quick bite to eat, Adelia's Chicken Sausage is a favorite. It is what it sounds like. It's a, um, a chicken sausage stand. So it's great to be able to get a handheld food for under six bucks. That tastes delicious. Thank you again, Craig, for your time. That was great. And uh, looking forward to staying connected and talking again here in the near future. Oh, thank you so much, Bobby. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com.